This is Mission.org. I'm Alec Baldwin, and you're listening to Marketing Trends and the Leeds Art Week. Over the course of more than 230 episodes of Marketing Trends, we have heard from industry leaders about their strategies and tactics, learned from their wins and their failures, and we've looked at the future of the industry and made predictions about what's to come. But no one could have predicted the twists and turns of 2020. In our episode with David Moraine, the CMO of Caldwell Banker, he might have said it best. Everyone has a plan to get punched in the face. And I think on a global scale, everybody's been punched in the face in some way, shape or form over the last couple of months. But I give my team a ton of credit in the ability to pivot. If there's a marketing term of the year, that would be it. Because we had to look at what we had. Let's not abandon ship with it, but how does it make sense for today's environment where we find ourselves? As David said, everyone and everything changed. And so businesses needed to adapt and make decisions on a daily basis that ultimately would impact their bottom lines. Ultimately, campaigns had to end, messaging had to shift, and the way brands interacted with their customers was different than ever before. Empathy led the way, which Mary Hines, the chief marketing officer, U.S. consumer at City, mentioned when she dropped by the show. We got together as a leadership team and created the task force to ensure that across everything we do, that we were having the right appropriate language, tone, visual imagery, in light of this unprecedented time, ensure that our offers were relevant. So instead of marketing three times on dining, which would appear really tone deaf and irrelevant, we shifted to things like three times on restaurant takeout, streaming services, so things that were much more relevant to the time, and then recognizing that we were also going into a recessionary event, given the economic impacts, ensuring that we had the right assistance for our customers. While we are all still living through unprecedented times, one thing remains true. Businesses carry on. Every marketing leader we speak to understands that fact, and they also know that if they want to continue to succeed, Regardless of the changing times, they need a plan. They need to know where the market stands, what their customers need, and how expectations are shifting. Basically, they need data. Or as Danny Cushion, the CMO of Carlytics said, If you're not using data to figure out how to make sure that you're reaching people who are receptive to or have some kind of higher propensity to buy your advertising, you're just still spraying and praying. There are countless ways that marketing leaders gather and analyze data. One is through the Salesforce State of Marketing and Customer Insights Research Reports. On this episode of Marketing Trends, we invited Christopher Jacob, a product marketing leader at Salesforce, to give us insights into those reports, including a deep dive into some of the data that leaders like the ones we bring onto this show are using to make decisions about the future of their marketing efforts. Enjoy this episode. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. We bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. Welcome to Marketing Trends. I'm Ian Faison, host of Marketing Trends. And today we have a very special guest. Chris, how are you? Good. Thank you, Ian. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. And you, we're, we're excited to chat today. You're a very special guest because... You are involved uh, behind the scenes a little bit on marketing trends, uh, and and we work with you closely to bring uh, to bring this amazing show. You know, two hundred plus episodes uh, in the works here, and we have we wanted to bring you on because we have some interesting you know customer trends and insights that you all have been collecting at Salesforce for a while now. We've talked about a few of them on the show in the past, and we kind of wanted to use this episode to really dive a little bit deeper into those. Um, but before we get into that, uh, we got to know, Chris, how'd you get started in marketing? It's a great question. Yeah, I, I, I don't even know how I got started in marketing in many ways. Like I, I was sitting in, in college about two decades ago, thinking I was going to go into investment banking. That's what I was doing, uh, heavy finance. And uh, I saw a uh, it was on Goldman Sachs or Goldman Sachs subsidiary. This little day and a week in the life of a uh, 
a new grad who'd recently started in their first year working, you know, from the moment they woke up on Monday to the moment they slept pillow on Sunday night. And I read it and I was mortified. <laughs> you can imagine you know, the typical working life and hours and stress and everything else that an investment banking type person has. This isn't their first year. And I realized at that moment it wasn't for me. Um, and so I pivoted hard to technology. And, uh, and so technology became my career mostly in startups and with some success and some failures. And I realized of all the things I enjoyed within technology realm, it was actually evangelizing technology, the marketing and the product marketing, um, the insights and trends, you know, because technology is always at the forefront. You always have to convince people of something or where the world is going. I mean, that's part of good technology. And I realized that that's what I uh, enjoyed the most. And suddenly you realize, well, what is that that is fundamentally marketing just within the technology world? And so that's kind of my journey in a snapshot of how I got to marketing. And it's a long, long way from uh, investment banking. Well, I think you made a great choice uh, because uh, it's good to, good to have you on our side. And so, you know, tell us a little bit about your role at Salesforce. Yeah. So, you know, I've been at Salesforce for uh, almost seven years now, and um, it's always been around our marketing um, business. I don't mean marketing as, you know, in the, in the sense of the marketing department. I mean, the marketing technology that we sell. And so, but in different capacities. But in the last uh, couple of years, my primary focus and my group's focus has been on the content we put out that ultimately hopes to, just like this podcast does, inspire CMOs and marketing execs and leaders to take action, to modernize their marketing technology, the department, their workflows, data, and everything else. You know, one of the ways that we often do that is through the insights that we provide through first party research and, and whatever else, you know, product adoption trends, et cetera. And so it's something I, you know, have a great passion for because ultimately when you're trying to convince, when you're trying to market to marketers, it's probably the hardest thing you possibly have to do because they in their own head know all the tricks because they use them themselves as marketers. So ultimately you have to really be some, seen to be someone who's trusted. And there's only so far you can go with, you know, relying on the brand that you come from. You actually have to deliver it through what you say and your words, your content. And um, that's what I sort of charge myself with and my group with every day, coming up with things that actually, one, are innovative and interesting, you know, that break through the noise. But two, actually meet that mandate of actually convincing a marketer at any brand, any over the world, small and large, name your industry to want to take an action, to move forward, to you know, buy technology, use it in a certain way, appear on stage with us, whatever it may be. And it's always a challenge because it's constantly changing and there's new competitors and I love it. Well, so one of the things that um, has been really nice working with you and, and working with Salesforce you know, on this podcast specifically is that you do have those functions, those, that research, um, those projects that you all do and create that are a lot of time and effort and energy and, and money to put into that because it allows us to be able to provide insights and context and, uh, and some data behind kind of the, uh, the gut feel that I think a lot of time that we, that we have, um, you know, and obviously one of those things, um, the, state of marketing that we talked about a ton on the show. Uh, another one of those is the Salesforce customer insights market report. You know, before we dive into that report, I kind of want to know, like, how do these, you know, reports come about? What's the process to make these? Like, I know you can't share specifics on how much, you know, actual money goes into creating these, but it's, it's not an insignificant amount of labor that, that goes into these type of reports. Yeah. And so this, it's, it's a great question. And you're right. There's not an insignificant amount of resources where they're monetary or people uh, based resources and outside um, people outside vendors that, that help as well. I think just as a, as, a, as a quick step back as to why you'd even go about doing anything like this, I mentioned some of that earlier in talking about, you know, marketing to marketers, but at its core, trying to get an insight in a very noisy world is what you want to do as much for yourself as providing that insight to others. And so with the state of marketing report, which is the marquee research report we have at Salesforce, our longest running research report at Salesforce, actually, um, now in its sixth edition, we basically each year try and get a pulse of marketing leaders all over the world 
um, with a standardized set of questions that cover the gamut of what's going on in their organization, what's going on with technology, their campaigns and analytics, and you know where they see the world headed. And then when you ask those questions across a, a, enough of a uh, sample size um, of type of company, part of the world, industry, etc., you start to get a good pulse of what's going on. Then both when you present that back to everybody all over the world, they can get an insight where they can compare themselves or what are other financial services people doing? What are other people doing in India? For example, if I'm an Indian brand, what campaign analytics trends, what technology people are adopting, that's great. But also for us at Salesforce, like it's an ultimate pulse of what's going on. I mean, are we building the right technology based on where the market's going and what marketing leaders say they need or say where their priorities and challenges are right now? And so that report, we think it's the, you know, that we launched in May this year, it's hit 29 countries now, or 29 captured countries are captured in that, you know, multitude of industries and ultimately about 7,000 marketing leaders. So I, I, I'm not aware of a bigger pulse check that happens at a regular cadence and, you know, in our case, pretty much annually of marketing leaders that gives that level of granular insight back to the marketing community globally, as well as to us in terms of making our own decisions. But the second part of this other customer insight stuff, and this has actually got a little bit more fascinating, I think if 2020 has taught us anything, it's taught us that we have no idea what's going on. (laughs) Um, Every day is unpredictable for so many reasons, macro and micro. We realized that we needed to get a pulse of what was going on with just individual people's behaviors. Just what are people changing now versus what they were doing six and 12 months ago? Because people are making fundamentally different decisions just because of the fact we're living in a global pandemic and all the flow-on effects from that, let alone the political and economic and other issues that exist in the world. And so it was decided earlier on this year, we were going to launch this sort of pulse series. We called it the consumer and, and workforce series, and it ultimately it's generating customer insights. And ask a set group of people around the world every two weeks, starting at the start of May and then you know, through the summer, what, or through the Northern Hemisphere summer, I should say, what, how do people feel about certain things? Where are you spending your money? How are you interacting with brands? And a whole series of questions, some of which would have been common every two weeks to see, you know, evolving trends and changes in behaviors. And then at each two-week point, we go deeper on one specific topic, whether it's the future of work, back to school, how selling is working, how marketing is working, how customer service is working, et cetera. And out of that, we generated a lot of interesting insights and so much of it was non-intuitive. Uh, non-intuitive being that you expect certain people are doing certain things or spending money in certain ways because we're living in a pandemic and we're mostly at home, uh, at least in, you know, in many, majority parts of the world. But then you l- suddenly learn something as simple that, as that you know, 14% of millennials saying they're going to spend more on travel in 2020 than they did in 2019. More on travel. Like, um, not the same, but more. And that's not an insignificant portion number. It's not like 2%, 14% is a significant audience, especially if you're a marketer, you know, marketing to that audience segment. So like learning those insights ourselves and then giving that also back to the community made people start to think about things differently and start to look at things and realizing we really need data now more than ever because so many things are changing at such a rapid pace because of outside factors. And if I'm a marketing leader having to execute on a campaign, I better be on top of this stuff or I could completely miss the boat, so to speak, on my programs and ultimately, you know, suffer more than, you know, more so than, you know, all of us are already suffering as a result of, you know, all these, all these things going around the world. Yeah. You know, I think that that's those insights that, you know, the 14% trying to figure out, you know, how we can deliver insights to marketers so that they know those type of things is beyond critical. I, I struggle to, to think about how you justify, and I know that, you know, I'm sure, you know, our listeners would say, well, they're Salesforce, they can do stuff like this. But, you know, for other marketers to do a report like this, to get these type of insights, these extremely valuable insights for the market, when the boss says, how does this tie to our pipeline, right? It's kind of the, the old adage of like, you know, what if, what if we train people and they leave and it's like, what if we don't and they stay, right? Like, mm-hmm. how do you justify these type of reports 
when clearly they are providing value to people, but you don't necessarily like know how much an insight is worth. Like what is the inherent value of like that one insight? And it's like, it could be millions and millions of dollars for, uh, for your customers and, you know, and, and prospects and things like that. But like, I'm just curious, like, how do you think about those things? Yeah. So I'll give a simple example, right? Like in, in March, March in the U S let's say like, you know, parts of the country started going into lockdown and then, you know, sort of cascaded across the States. Now, if you were a marketing leader at a brand and you suddenly were faced with this and with all the uncertainty, I mean, there's still uncertainty now, but with all the uncertainty of the time, right? That I have no idea what's going on. We're shutting down businesses. Things aren't allowed to run, whatever. You might make the logical decision, like let's pause adver- all our advertising right now, or let's pause all our external customer acquisition or business buyer acquisition campaigns, because we have no idea what's going on. We don't want to be seen as someone that's not authentic to customers right now, insulting, nor do we want to spend money for reasons that we don't think anyone can actually you know, buy our products or anything like that. So prudent decision, right? Okay. So you paused all your campaigns or paused your advertising temporarily. What happens if you didn't know that fine, a certain segment of your audience, let's say, let's use the age example like we just did. Let's say all the older customers that you have, you know, above a certain age, don't want to buy your product because they're just being conservative, maybe on a fixed income, whatever their reason is, they don't want to buy. They just, or they're more worried about the virus because they're a more vulnerable population, whatever the case may be. But there's a portion of your younger audience that despite being locked down, they do really want your product for whatever reason. Not all of them, but a portion of them. If you've gone ahead and paused all your campaigns just in the moment where you need to extract every last revenue dollar you can because you're going to see massive impact to your top line numbers, you've suddenly cost yourself uh, a whole bunch of revenue that you could have badly needed right now that could help you run more campaigns, give you time to figure stuff out, retain staff, all those types of things that you know, sort of help you get through an economic crisis. So I fundamentally believe that if you are not capturing insights, whether you are capturing them directly yourselves you know, through work you're doing or procuring them from people who otherwise do, through people who do and provide great numbers on these types of things, then you are going to make fundamentally bad decisions as a marketing leader that will directly impact your top and bottom lines. And uh, especially, as I said earlier, in a time like this where we have no idea what's going on and it seems uncertain day to day, week to week, month to month, we really need that data to make you know, just literal decisions like, should we run this campaign or should we not? Should we just market to said audience in our um, overall addressable market and you know, pause to others? What should be the tone of that message? What should be the cadence of that message? What channel should I message in um, given you know, we're largely uh, at home right now and maybe not in offices? All those types of things. Like I need the data to make those decisions. Otherwise, I'm literally going to be impacting my revenue. Yeah, do you think that you know, many, well, many, 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 many episodes ago, we had Crinsclar on and she was talking about like the first data sales for force report that, that they did for, um, for Blue Wolf, uh, you know, back in the day. And like, that's a, it's a massive undertaking similar to the, to the things that you're doing are a massive undertaking, but now the delivery models have kind of changed, right? There's, you know, there's less of the, Hey, if I'm going to create this like massive, you know, report, someone's probably not going to sit down and read, you know, cover to cover this whole thing. But all of the little insights and different things that you can share over time, that you can piece out over time, that you can provide is kind of very consumable now, right? Like it's like, it's an extremely consumable thing. So, you know, do you feel like kind of doing all of the work to create these, like to create the the Salesforce customer insights um, market report? then now you have this, you know, enormous amount of, of content that you can, you know, piece out. And now it's a question of like, where do we put it in and when? Yeah. And, and it's, you, that question really does speak to the idea of like meeting people where they are and meeting people where they are, especially in a time like this, where people, the way people want to receive any given message actually is changing fundamentally. And so we have tried to be very adaptive 
um, to that. And, you know, given that people may have shorter attention spans now, at least some of us do, um, then uh, the days gone by and you, your point around is, do people read PDF reports or white papers cover to cover? I'm sure some people still do, but I'd probably hazard a guess that the majority don't, especially people who sit in a marketing department. And so there might be more, a, uh, maybe I'm speculating that we as a species may be more ADD than the average person in a, uh, in a company. And so you have to do it in various formats. So we still do the marquee PDF type reports for a lot of what we do, um, which have deeper insights and then segment stuff broken up by industry and by region. But then we've tried to provide this in so many different ways. One method is like delivering the content to people in a way they can consume it listening or visually. So whether that be what we're doing right now in a podcast or a webinar um, or some on-demand type video stuff that people could play on YouTube or something similar. So you have those sorts of formats where people can consume it, you know, on their own uh, at the time and leisure and, and, and a different type of format. Then we empower people to directly present it. And so these are things that I do and we empower actually our entire global distribution sales team to go and present this out directly to someone who may want it. So presenting to an exec team for a brand or presenting at an event. I mean, these days it's virtual events, but, um, but at an event or a dinner um, or a virtual dinner in, in, these, in these senses. And then we've gotten to some more interesting things more recently. Obviously, you have things like infographics and other things that you can present in short forms and, and that work well in social media and blogs. But Salesforce, we were lucky. We, we acquired a company uh, called Tableau uh, last year, the world's biggest analytics companies. One of the cool things that they have is this ability to have these public dashboards that are you know, self-driven in that you can put your data out there and then people can play with the data themselves, filter it by demographic group or by region or whatever other things make sense and just have their own little dashboard they can play with with whatever insights that we're putting out there. That's so fantastic. And we've done it for you know, macro things. We launched one around um, the environment and other things and the future companies and business uh, around Davos and the World Economic Forum at the start of this year. And then we do it for things like this that we're talking about, you know, whether it's data marketing or some of these uh, customer insights that people can go to these um, self-service dashboards and just play around with the data. Anyone can. Like, you know, it doesn't matter whether you're a Salesforce customer or not. Just you know, if you are interested in knowing you know, what channel um, that boomers uh, in the US are most consuming messages right now from, from brands, you can go and play around with that data. If you want to know what they consider going to be the future of work and schooling uh, ahead in terms of back to school, the season we're in now, you can go look at that data. It's, like it, it's truly a great way to give people the power to use the data in a way that's on their terms um, and something that they can play around with and then share with their colleagues or friends or family in an easy way um, themselves. So I think the most important thing is the, the bottom line takeaway of everything I'm saying is that you kind of just have to meet people where they are. And there's a myriad of ways that people consume anything these days. And as long as you're meeting them where they are, I think you are doing the right thing. What are some other uh, pieces of, of the report that you found particularly interesting? You want to get completely meta, Ian? Um, so uh, let's get, let's in. get meta. So let's, let's do podcasts and let's talk about podcasts, for example. So one of the questions that we asked people around the world is like, what is the right form of content that you want to receive? So not just about the channel, but you know, the, the actual form of content you want to receive now from brands in terms of how that differs in 2020 and so this is like summer 2020 versus you know a year ago summer 2019 and so there's various forms of ways that any brand could deliver content in the world that we currently live in now you know there's blogs which you know i think most brands do in some form or another um there's a lot of how-to guides has kind of kind of become one of the things and it has sort of been interesting getting people to use what they've originally already bought from a brand better um, rather than trying to sell them more when you know the budgets might be cut Podcasts have obviously become a, a bigger thing and more and more brands are launching their own podcasts and, and, and celebrities and whatnot. And then sort of virtual meetings, you know, virtual meetings has become such a big thing, whether it's virtual meetings in a B2B sense, where that's the way salespeople have to sell, they can't go to a customer or things like telehealth and, and whatnot that have sort of become, you know, virtual appointments. Now, 
talking about those few things, let's let's look at this from the perspective of the US audience. And again, I'll, I'm going to segment it by millennials versus the boomer generation. So people, boomer and silent generation, people born from the early 60s and before, and millennials, people born from the early 80s uh, to the mid 90s. Um, the reason why I do that as a comparison, because it gives you an idea of what can be in terms of like differences that are, that are happening during this pandemic period, but you could apply this to other age groups. You could apply it to income levels, to gender and whatnot. You can look at that data on our dashboards and elsewhere. So let's talk about podcasts first. Let's start with the thing. Now, if your goal is to reach your audience with a podcast as a, as a marketing leader in the US, for millennials, they're saying people are 73% of them are saying they're at least similarly interested or more interested in receiving messages from a brand in podcast form. That's good, right? That's good. Hey, yeah, hey now. That's, that's great. <laughs> um, it shows that something like this is a great form of reaching a millennial customer. If that's, you know, a good portion or majority or all of your audience is a, whether it's B2B or B2C. Now let's look at that same data point, but for, boomer and silent generation people, so an older audience, only 14% of boomer and silent generation people are saying that they're more interested in receiving information from brands via podcast than a year ago. And 50% are saying they're less interested. So if your audience as a brand or your customers and prospects are largely falling in that age group and you are heavily investing in podcasts, yes, 50% 50% of your audience are similarly and, and some smaller proportion are more interested, but you'll be missing a good portion of your audience that for whatever reason are saying they're less interested, maybe because they consume podcasts when they commute and they're not commuting as much anymore because they're afraid to leave the house for health reasons or whatever. And that's the reason why I, we're not going, we don't have that second order data to know exactly why this is what it is, just what it is. But that just knowing that one piece of information alone from a podcast strategy perspective may influence not that you will or won't do a podcast. You should based on this data. But if you're thinking about what content should be on the the podcast, maybe you'll be majority catering it to a younger audience because they're the ones more likely to be uh, consuming that content from a brand based on this data. And so maybe you'll have some content devoted to an older audience, but that won't be your primary mechanism of reaching that person. So I love this. And this is an important segue to like adjacency and the importance of adjacency in marketing, because that's the exact type of insight that it's like, you know, a good marketer can take it in one way, or maybe a, a not a strong marketer can take it in another way. And like, I, I look at this, like the perfect show on the planet for 2000 and whatever, 16 or 15 or whatever it was, was uh, stranger things. For the demographic of people who were millennials, who grew up in the 80s, uh, or whatever the is before millennials, that grew up in and around the 80s, that wanted a thriller wrapped in nostalgia with like, you know, a lot of the same beats, the stuff that they grew up with, and that they could show their kids that their kids would love. And I think that that's where you see like, the out of home, you know, Netflix, if you had looked at the insights and said, like, hey, a younger generation of people, as I'm sure Netflix did, is looking at is like increasingly on Netflix, for example, versus like, you know, boomers who are, who are not as much on, you know, on Netflix at this moment in time. We should make a show that's catering towards nostalgia for millennials and like, you know, boom, it explodes. Whereas like now you could maybe look at this, the same data and see how it evolved and say like, well, actually boomers are looking at uh, now all of Netflix subscriptions because, you know, of the pandemic or something like that. I don't know. I'm um, just making that up. But that's where you see like, okay, well, now maybe we should have, you know, create a show that is, you know, more of a niche that that fits like a nostalgia type show you know, for that population of people. And these are sweeping generalizations, but I think that that's where you look at like how your strategy, like from a high level can be shaped and then fit content into those niches with an adjacent level of, of content, not just around the fact that you could say like, oh, well, if people of a, of a certain age are doing this, that doesn't mean that we need to create like a CFO podcast. It's like, well, 
doesn't really matter what age you are. If you're a CFO, you're probably, you know, trying to figure out how to do a better job at your job. And maybe, you know, in a batch of Fortune 500 CFOs, for example, where you only have 500 people that you're targeting, okay, those those broad sweeping, you know, figures might not be as uh, as important. But if you're if you're creating, you know, something that's a more broad appeal, like you you have to figure out how to take that first question and kind of double click into it as many times as you can get to see those insights and to take action. Yeah, I just I couldn't have put that better myself because it's it's not like as you said using the Stranger Things example, it's not like this is like the way it's going to be <laughs> all the time. Like that was the state of the world in 2015, 2016, as you said, and then 12 months later, not because of a pandemic, or 24 months later, it could have changed, or it might have taken all the way to now to you know a whole bunch of people going on on streaming video with especially with the plethora of options that have launched this year alone in the US with Disney Plus and HBO Max and Peacock and everything else. So it, it might now be the time to, start to address the different audience that now have cut the cord or now using um, all these streaming services. I think one of the other interesting things that out of this, and I'll sort of present this in two ways, that it's not also a single thing. I mean, your CFO example is really good because th- that audience is, is small or it's defined, 500 people. But even if they were all represented by these numbers I just gave, right? That means 200, you'd reach 250 of them with podcasts pretty well, at least based on this data. That's great. I'm sure if you had the opportunity to influence 250 of the 500, Fortune 500 CMOs, that would probably be very good for your business. So it's, it's very much about adapting to what the data is saying, but look, not looking at any individual data point as its own thing, doing it representative against your market and what that means and, and, then, and then taking that forward. And then you have other things like you find where U.S. customers as a whole, this is like not any particular age group for this stuff, but 59% of them are saying the brand should send them less now. And, you know, now and during this pandemic era, so less messages, less ads, less emails, less, you know, any, any way they're communicating. But 56% of them are saying that the variety of stuff they're sending should be increased. So here they're telling you, send me less, but when you do do something to me, make sure it has a lot more variety. <laughs> so you could be sitting there as a marketing leader going like, make up your mind. <laughs> Like, fine, you want less, but now you also want me to give you, you know, a, a greater color array of Skittles in terms of what I'm giving you. But this is what people are saying they want. Um, it, it's sort of for the times. Additionally, like they're saying, and this is one of the things that's evolved. And I think this is, this is like one of the fascinating things about the pandemic era. If you're someone who like loves data like I do. In May, um, when people are saying like, what do they want to receive from brands? Like what type of content? The types of things that they were saying in May, like when it was a lot more uncertain, I think, not that it was any more critical than it is now. People were saying they wanted to receive operational updates. So like, you know, times you were open, closed, you know, all all the things when you can call customer service, you know, things that sort of tell and speak to what your business is doing and how I can work with you. Obviously critical, especially since most businesses changed a lot of that because of the pandemic. They wanted to receive employee updates. And I think, you know, a lot of us would have seen a lot of the TV ads and other things where, you know, Dell, I think, had some and others where, you know, brands were doing these promotions on how they were taking care of their employees, you know, now working from home or providing them PPE in the workplace if they had to go to an office, et cetera. It was like a very common type thing that people in the US said they wanted to see that. What they didn't want to see, much lower down the list, were promotional offers or loyalty information like the types of things that more speak to, you know, whatever they're selling, whatever product or service is selling. Fast forward to August, so three months later, looking at the same types of things. The number one thing they still wanted to see was operational updates. Makes sense because, you know, the different states and localities are going through reopenings. And so there's obviously things that you want to know operationally, like, can I go to the gym now? And if I can, what do I have to do? So those types of things are still critically important. But the number two thing they wanted to receive in August is promotional offers. So suddenly things like, you know, employee updates and those sorts of things from brands weren't as important anymore for whatever reason that they weren't. And they were more okay with sort of getting back to the usual economic relationship they have with brands, you know, based around receiving promo offers, discounts and things. What's new? What can I buy? Like what's the next hot new thing or new service I need to buy? Uh, before the end of the year. And so that's just an interesting thing. So, you know, we, we're talking about podcasts and like, you know, what type of audience, but then there's like, what do I actually talk about? 
And if you were sitting there in May on a podcast talking to your audience about promotional offers and doing it regulated on some hyper level of frequency, you probably were pissing a lot of people off. If you're doing it in August, exactly the same way, you might actually be resonating with your audience. Well, I think we saw so many people try to respond, you know, with this kind of like this, this set of ads that were like, we're listening, we're hearing, and, uh, you know, we're here for you and that sort of thing. And I think that, you know, it's one of those things where like, I think we collectively fatigued on that pretty fast, right? It's like, you know, at the beginning, you're like, okay, you know, that's, it's good to know that at least, you know, they're not trying to shove their products down our throat. But then, like you said, it's like life goes on, we're getting towards the holidays. I need to start thinking about presents for people. I, I, I think I just want to see the discount. Like, you know, what what is the fall lineup? What does the fall catalog look like? Like, can I go back to normal now? Can I go back to my my normal life? And I think that, you know, we're so obsessed with data as marketers. We're so obsessed with open rates and, and this and that and headlines and all these things um, and optimizing every single one of those things. But this is like, you know, the case, case in point um, of a lot of this A-B testing stuff where it's like you can A-B test yourself to, you know, the headline of, of 90% off is always going to be the best headline. It's always going to be the thing that gets clicked on the most. You know, buy one, get one, you know, whatever it is. But, you know, that's always going to be something. But I think what people feel is fatigue, right? It's like, if there's always some sort of fire drill going on every second of every day, and that's where I think the variety of mess- messages that you talk about, where 59% of people want messages to be reduced, but 58% of people want a, a better variety of message. Well, yeah, that's because we've probably been A-B testing ourselves to the point where we know exactly what people are going to click on. And that drives a lot of revenue. And the hard decision for a marketer to do is to say, every single time we put a buy one, get one subject matter in the headline, we sell $1.3 million in merchandise, you know, in the next, in the trailing week or something like that, whatever. Are we going to say we don't want to make that million and a half dollars so that we keep our list in tune, right? And maybe yeah, I know there's segmentation. There's all sorts of things that go into that. But these are, these are the difficult decisions that you have to make when you're talking about product versus brand and like what people want to see. And if they want variety, well, I, you should probably be running some experiments that speak at variety, right? Like probably wildly different stuff. And if it doesn't work, then it doesn't work. But I, I do think that I've seen anecdotally a lot, a lot of stuff go back to the normal and then just the spam machine get cranked up to a 10. Yeah. And I think do what you're ultimately speaking to, you've got to understand the cohorts in your business that are important. The, the certain cohorts that matter to your business, whether it's spending tiers or loyalty tiers, what the types of product or service that they are interested in or bought historically or demographics like age that we've talked about a lot here or income level or gender or like whatever it is like that matters or some intersectional aspect of all those things or some of those things. And then within those things, work out, okay, well, what are these people who want? Am I inundating these people right now? Am I reaching them in the right channel? I discounts what they want. Like another thing if 2020 has taught us anything is the art of empathy because if you're not empathetic, it's very, very clear. And the aspect of being tone deaf is um, never more apparent than it has been this year. Um, you know, we've seen a lot of that in recent years and, and brands getting called out for it. But especially this year, tone deafness is something you don't want to be on the wrong side of. But it also gets very nuanced. And, I'll, and, you know, maybe this point will sort of illustrate it because I think this was fascinating. And this is one of those questions if you're sitting in a, if you're sitting in an old fashioned conference or old fashioned, you know, six months ago conference room, um, a Zoom call now and working out what to do. These are the types of decisions that, you know, a modern sophisticated marketer will have to make. Well, let's go back to our two cohorts that we've sort of been talking about throughout. Boomers and silent generation people, 60% of them are saying that they think workers are suffering at brands and they're willing to forego receiving discounts from brands if that helps the brand retain stuff, like not do things like layoffs. If you flip that and ask millennials in the US that same question, their answer you know, to the slight majority, 53% are saying, we're all suffering. Brands should extend discounts to us even if it results in layoffs. 
And that may be a result of, you know, they have lesser savings and they've been around for long, they're more job vulnerable, whatever, right? Whatever the reason, they have bigger student loans that they have to service, et cetera, um, whatever the reason is. But if you just take those two data points, you know, and, and sort of grok what they're telling us, and you are a marketing leader thinking about how I should you know, construct a campaign, let alone how I should price or how I should discount, you could immediately appear tone deaf to somebody if you say, look, you know what, I'm going to forego doing discounts this year or within my holiday promotional period because, um, and I'm going to put as a reason as to why I'm doing it because I'm, I'm trying to maintain my staff levels and you know, look after my employees. Great. The majority of boomers say that that's what they want to see and they'd prefer that. But that might actually annoy um, your millennial audience because they feel like they're suffering um, as a result of the economy. And it's like, there's no right answer to that. Like there's literally no right answer to that. And there's not, it's not like it's hundred percent one way and hundred percent the other, but there's so much nuance in just those two insights that really will make you think. And the, the short answer to what you shouldn't do is empathy, right? As long as you're empathetic, you're probably doing the right thing, but you've got to recognize those sorts of things before you can even be empathetic. Yeah. I, I think that's just a wildly complex scenario. Uh, I agree with you there. And it's so fascinating, you know, and, and I think a stat that, that you all have shared that 61% of customers say that if companies don't adapt to their needs, um, it feels like they don't care. I think that it's about being attentive and empathetic, like you said. And I think that this is why you talk about, you know, the customer journey. It's why you talk about building a relationship and customer success and all these functions marketing past the sale, through the sale, like all those things that we've talked about, you know, ad nauseum on the show over the past 200 plus episodes, why they're so important now. Because it's like, if you were, if you were always talking features and benefits and you were never having a brand conversation and you were never telling a story, and if you were never like letting people in to the community and listening to those folks and like getting their feedback, you don't really have a good conversation when you stop sending the discount emails, right? If boomers are on one side and millennials are on the other, you know, generally speaking about how they, how they feel about, you know, going through these tough times right now, the, the most important thing that you need to have is, you know, uh, a brand that is actually speaking to those f- folks. And like, that doesn't happen with like a 30 second spot on NFL Sundays. You know what I mean? Like it doesn't happen, uh, you know, in one email from your CEO, like it happens over the multitude of, you know, hundreds of touches over, over the customer journey. And like, that's why that stuff is so important because, you know, doing it in, uh, you know, trying to shoehorn and say, we care. It's like, well, you didn't care when you emailed me three times trying to sell me a product that I already own. That you didn't care then, so I kind of find that hard to believe that you care now. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, ultimately, we think the, your actions have to be congruent with your words, and they have to be consistent um, at the same time. You can't just, you know, get credit for doing one thing, and then the next time you do something completely off uh, what you said three months earlier. Yeah, I think if, if there's a last, if there's a lasting thing, I think for any brand to understand, apart from you know using insights and using data to make better decisions. It's that you've got to be consistent to some sort of core set of values that you have and let that continue to be your guide and ultimately also be responsive to wherever and whatever is going on in the world and with, with, with your customer base. And, you know, through times like this, there's going to be some rapid changes and shifts behaviorally, share of wallets and all those sorts of things. But if you're not you run the risk of, you know, the, the stat you quoted of, of, of people feeling like you don't care. And as soon as someone feels it, whether it's your friend or whether it's a company, as soon as you feel like someone doesn't care, that's the first step. If not the first step, if not the first and last step at the same time of losing them. And then, you know, trying to win somebody back at that point is so difficult. Well, Chris, we're not going to let you get out of here before we do our lightning round. As always, Marketing Trends is brought to you by Salesforce. And you know that better than anyone, but you know, I feel like all the insights and things that we talked about today are the perfect reason why people should uh, check out some of the really cool stuff that 
that you're doing at Salesforce, obviously go check out uh, the reports that we were talking about. We'll link them up in the uh, in the show notes. Check out Salesforce State of Marketing. Check out the Customer Insights Report. And, uh, and we're going to give you some lightning round questions. These questions are fast and easy, just like marketing with Salesforce. Go to salesforce.com slash marketing to learn more. Lightning round questions. Chris, are you ready? I am ready, Ian. And you know all these, so I might have to mix it up a little bit. Have you picked up a, a, a hobby during shelter in place? I really like reading, uh, someone asked me this yesterday, I really like reading uh, people's personal financial journals. Like, I mean, it's a public, I'm not stealing someone's journal and reading it, but people's financial journeys. And then, you know, over time, over a number of years and watching people document uh, life circumstances or even like the pandemic has affected them. I find it fascinating. That is, I've never heard that. That does sound super fascinating. I would love to do that too. You need to send me some of that I will. because uh, I'm, you know, it's like there's, you know, a few people out there that you've seen like Ramit, Ramit Sethi and, and other people that have kind of championed this like, you know, personal personal wealth and financial readiness and, and ownership and, and all that stuff over the years. But yeah, that's super fascinating. I think so. <laughs> do you have a favorite book or podcast? You're uh, checking out. You mean other than this one that we spend so yeah. much time on, Ian? Uh, That's right. Uh, if you would ask me like the truest question and I was sitting in a bar with you or with somebody else and they asked me that question and like the go-to and for so many years has always been Freakonomics. I mean, I, they do such good stuff. And, you know, like we're talking about alternative and non-intuitive things here. I mean, they, they may be the pioneers of that in podcasting and publishing world. Do you have a spot that you're going to go once this is all uh all over and we can go and sit in sit in restaurants like normal or go on vacations like normal uh where are you going to go uh that's the hardest question in the world because if anyone knows anything about me travel is like the number one thing and the amount of trips that just got canceled and refunds that came through the first half of the year is you know, all this stuff happened and so the easy answer would be like go to one of those places that got canceled one of those was sri lanka for example um uh that got canceled but honestly anywhere like i cannot wait for the day that i can get on a i mean i know i can now but you know unencumbered and you know without most of the restrictions that you need to do in this pandemic era and then when you arrive at wherever you arrive you can do things in a, in a normal way and whatnot with whatever you're doing so honestly anywhere the moment i can get on a plane and travel to somewhere like it's somewhere domestically internationally it doesn't matter just like travel just like, get me somewhere <laughs> What's your best advice for a marketer in 2021? 2021. Okay. Well, um, wear a mask. But other than that, um, the, the hardest thing, and I think in, a lot of other workers have felt this in other sectors, don't think that you can't, your, you know, your skill set can't be made redundant because of evolutions in technology and what that happens over time that's happening rapidly. Um, you may have seen this happen in other industries like manufacturing and others, and, and it could easily happen to many aspects of what is considered a normal role in marketing today. So what does that mean? It constantly means you have to learn and be adaptive. Marketing is not going away, but the what people will do within marketing will change and is changing. And um, there's clear areas where people are going to find um, jobs of the future, those being in marketing, those being things related to AI, things related to data, things related to you know, frontier technologies like VR and AR and whatnot. And so always make sure you're orientating to you know, what's next and making sure you're keeping your skills up to date because just like people in other industries, and you know, I'm, I'm cognizant of this too, we, our skills can be made redundant through things like automation. You've done uh, a, a lot of, uh, a lot of speaking stuff. Is there a question that you've never gotten asked that you wish you got asked? <laughs> There's probably more that I didn't get asked that I'm glad never, were never asked. Um, <laughs> never, never asked, I wish got asked. Um, that's a really good question. I've never actually been asked the question like I've asked this to other people, but I've never been asked it in reverse of if you could make one outlandish prediction and that was 2030 and we were looking back at, you know, the 10 years just gone, the 2020s, um, what do you think will be the most dramatic change or fundamental change or change to business or marketing or technology? Um, that'd be an interesting question because I'm always fascinated when I ask that 
similar question to people of we know what their answers are. So probably that question. Chris, thanks so much for joining. This was awesome. Uh, as always, great to uh, great to dive super deep into the weeds on this stuff. Um, any final thoughts? No, other than just, you know, everyone be safe and be healthy. Um, but, you know, take advantage of all the stuff that, you know, we and others put out there that give you insights in terms of what's going on. Like, it's not just fascinating, you know, to read and to understand. It's also so impactful for daily decisions you may make in your jobs. And otherwise, just, you know, happy marketing and good luck to the end of the year. Marketing Trends Podcast is brought to you by Salesforce. Discover marketing built on the world's number one CRM, Salesforce. Put your customer at the center of every interaction. Automate engagement with each customer and build your marketing strategy around the entire customer journey. Salesforce, we bring marketing and engagement together. Learn more at salesforce.com slash marketing. You have eight seconds to make a connection or risk a click away onto the next topic. The difference lies in your ability to deliver relevant experiences to your audience across devices and across channels. But delivering on a really great experience is impossible without the right people and the right technology. You've got the right people, but your technology choices will make or break someone's experience with your brand. At the center of gravity of your digital experience, Brightspot Content Management System can deliver relevant content, personalized experiences, and cross-channel synergies to create unforgettable brand experiences. So you can be a bright spot in someone's day. Head over to brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends to find out right now. From global crisis to hunger relief efforts, the messages you deliver save lives, inform important decision-making, and help keep communities safe and sound. The speed and scale of your content needs to be delivered faster and on a much larger scale. Brightspot Content Management System has supported some of the world's largest brands to communicate on a global scale. From Johnson & Johnson sharing critical information with their customers to helping Whole Foods tell their brand story to a global audience. Brightspot is designed to handle rapid iteration and personalized messages to those you care about most. Learn more at brightspot.com forward slash marketing trends.